The shock buffets me. I wipe my sling against a tree to remove the residue of nerves, tendons, a few splinters of bone that dot the blade. He yields on his feet. He seems to have a few broken ribs, but nothing worse. The natural mucus his skin secretes prevented the monster from getting too strong a grip. Probably saved his life. Behind me, I hear Shockney's panic. She's holding the lifeless turtle in her arms, at the foot of a large tree into which our shaman crashed after a long glide. Ark, wake up! Come on, move! Damn it! The shell's been split in two. The power of the blow must have been incredible. Sleek rushes to the axolotl's side despite the pain. You idiot! Why the hell didn't you get out of the way? Can you resuscitate her? I got no juice left. I can't do anything at the moment. If I try to make electricity in my state, I'm the one who could die. Well, how long? Fifteen minutes. Maybe more. We don't have fifteen minutes! Okay, fine. You asked for it, so I'm going to give my last spark to that turtle. But if I die, I will never forgive you. Sleek charges his body. His eyes turn white and he starts to stagger. He's about to faint. He brings his trembling finger to the lifeless body. Calm down, Eel. I'm not dead yet. Kansas shell trembles, and her mischievous eyes slowly open. She smiles, livid. She's alive. She's okay. Sleek leaps into Shockney's arms. The axolotl was successful. The trial is over. We are officially lunar warriors. The joy lasts for a while before the fatigue catches up with us. We pull the horns of the Mondragon together, as well as the claws for Jensen and his men. We head back up the hill to collect provisions and, incidentally, strength. In the late afternoon, our small group reaches the place where we hid the food. The pace was slow. I carried the turtle on the way as her injuries are quite serious. She can no longer walk, her knee is broken, as are her ribs and her right arm. She'll have a massive crack in her shell for the rest of her life. Following our shaman's instructions, we extract the needles from her belt to inject ourselves with stimulants and opiates, and then set off to collect wood and some edible fruit for dinner. Once the fire is lit, we unpack the food offered by the Ansem. Thick slices of dried and peppered scoff bacon, and we uncork a keg from the corporal's personal stash. As the sun sets in the distance in a lava-colored bouquet, we sit on a carpet of tall grass and moss. Handsome alcohol passes from mouth to mouth, and we let the sweetness of the end of the day accompany our intoxication, with the certainty that for the first time, we'll be able to take time to sleep. Our muscles relax as a colony of stars fills the sky. The ancestors watching and we forget our wounds. Soon evening envelops us, and we lie down in disarray in the darkness, free from all the sufferings and anxieties of life, old age, and death. We are now bound by the closest camaraderie, and this feeling is one of the things that makes life worth living. We rehash crag legends, laugh at all the adventures we've been on. We talk about our common ambition to become the elite. 
win the rank of Explorer, which requires ten moons out of the twelve. We're well aware that this will take years, as each moon is increasingly difficult to win. If a war doesn't send us to the front by then, The night exudes coolness and drops, and the evening loses its momentum. Tiredness slowly creeps up on us, and eventually silence envelops our group. With this calm comes the prospect of the return journey, which signals the end of this adventure, and our return to a life much calmer than the chaos that has marred our daily lives over the last few weeks. Before exhaustion finally puts us to sleep, Words known to the five of us rise up in the darkness. It's Leek who begins the chorus of the Call of the Abyss. We the Crag are born! He leaves a silence for one of us to continue. But fortunately, no one responds, leaving only the hubbub of the crickets. I have no desire to sing now. Or ever again, for that matter. Come on, everyone with me! The call! We deserve it this evening! I'll take it from here. He clears his throat and claps his hands to set the pace. <clears throat> Once, then twice, then twice again. We the Krog are born! We die! You got it, Axolotl! Okay, come on, you guys! Well, did like our web. Fate! You got it, beautiful turtle! Come on, everyone, clap your hands! We don't need... Steel! Responds Rexus as he hits the ground with his fists to set a muted tempo. That's our squealer! Come on, let's do it, everybody! Strength and union! Amanaka, sing with us! I won't sing! No way! I growl as I feel my cheeks flush miserably. Come on, Ahmad, don't be shy. You're the reason we've come this far, so you have to sing. Ahmad, Ahmad, Ahmad. All right. From the beginning, everyone. We, the crag, are born, we die. Welded like our wet feet. We, the crag, don't need I let myself go and sing the last two verses heartily, before immediately regretting my action. The others applaud. Keep going! All together! We the Crag are born! That's enough for tonight. We all need some sleep. I cut through the mockery. In the morning, we set off in good spirits. We walked back down the hill, a farewell glance at the crossing, and set off down the path made by Jensen and his men. We know the way. There's no need to hurry. I just hope that the Ansem will still have some of those delicious rations. The return to our shores is still far away, but we're already looking forward to the glory and celebration that await us. My father's pride. The closing ceremony, the end of our first moon tattoo, the banquets, 
and wrestling tournaments on the dunes, fired up by our success. The story of our adventures, amplified by the imagination of the storytellers, as it echoes from mouth to mouth across the sand. I'm happy for Rex's, and I'm sure that his integration with the crag of the shores will encourage people to reconsider the Squilla. Better lives await us, and we have new mountains to climb. The jungle loses its greenery and gradually turns orange and purple. We're almost at the patch of the Carmine Forest adjacent to the Adalar lands. We camp a second night, identical to the previous one. This time we stay up late, eating and drinking our fill in the knowledge that tomorrow we'll be joining Corporal Jensen's camp. In a drunken haze, Sleek initiates a punching contest between Rex's and me. We cut down trees for a good half hour with nothing between us. While my strike is heavy and tears off the trunks, Rex's fury smashes the wood to pieces. We declare a draw, finish the drink under the stars, and go to bed to the nightly song of the insects. As I examine the horns of the mandracorn lying facing the sky, a somewhat hazy detail comes back to me. I still don't understand how the beast managed to follow us since we entered the forest, or how it was able to conceal its tracks for three weeks. Huh. Fatigue and alcohol prevent me from unraveling the different possible scenarios. I quickly fall into a dreamless sleep. We wake up in the humid heat. We're late because the sun is already well past its zenith. We decide to take to the road without delay. After a few hours of walking, the dusk is already imminent, and we hurry up as we recognize our tracks. We talk about the fight and how we would approach it if we had to fight the monster a second time. The trance is difficult to manage. I admit that we should maybe have tried to mobilize him with ropes, but the thief keys had stolen them from us. Vine, perhaps? Would he really have been bothered, though? A good trap filled with stakes and covered with leaves would have done the trick. Easier said than done. As for me, I'm glad I fought this beast fair and square. But what a bastard he was. When I jumped him, I thought he was going to spill my guts. Oh, man, that stench of seal and filth. I mean... How is it possible he could have taken us by surprise? The smell alone. My nightly thoughts come back to me like a punch in the gut. The smell is the thing I was missing. As Sleek says, the male mandracorn is very fragrant. It's Rexy's who confirmed my doubts. The mandracorn was facing into the wind when it attacked. A light breeze, almost imperceptible, but enough to carry its smell in the wrong direction. It's as simple as that, and that's also how the beast must catch its game. I need to know for sure, because if my fears are true, then things could get dangerous. Shackney cuts me off before I can ask my question. Everyone, listen to me! She screams so loudly that a flock of birds scatters in the distance, croaking. Speaking of smell, I smell him! I can smell him! What do you smell? I can smell my brother! 
Rookin isn't far away! Come on, stop freaking out. There's no way he's nearby. You've been hitting Jensen's liquor a little hard, I think. Of course he is, I swear it. I wasn't sure at first, but as we got closer to the camp, it became more intense. I swear it! Rookin is currently with Jensen and his men! He must be waiting for us for lunch! Whoa, you completely lost an axolotl. How can he be laughing with the soldiers? He's in that direction! I'm sure of it! Let's go take a look. Anyway, we have to go to the patrol to get supplies. Shakti leads the way. She's practically running, and we have to call her back to avoid losing sight of her. But there's also something wrong with the smell of the mandracorn and the presence I felt those first nights when I finally realize Shakni is already far away. Never mind. I call out to the rest of the group. I need to talk to you! About Rukin? I find that strange too. No, Rukin may well be with the Ansem at this time. He would have kept an eye on his sister during the trial and followed us before stopping at the camp when Jensen would have assured that we returned. <sighs> That's another thing that worries me. As the ideas mount in my head, my conviction grows. Something is wrong. I remember Sleek, frozen in terror as he saw the line. Then I watch his reaction carefully as I tell everyone my theory. Something or someone has been following us since we climbed down from the cliffs and entered the Carmine Forest. The Mandracorn or Rookin? Stop looking for things to worry about, Mr. Prince. So unused to living the good life. Enjoy it a bit. The shaman removes her mischievous pout when she sees me draw my weapon. I continue. If it was the Mandracorn, we would have smelt it. If it was Rookin, Shakni would have smelt him. Look at how she can pick up her brother's scent. The wind swirled in every direction after the flayed cliff, so it would have been impossible for either of them to fully conceal their presence. What exactly did you feel? That other night, in the jungle, after we climbed down from the cliffs. I could just make it out with my sonar, but it disappeared immediately. It understood that I could detect it. It had no smell. Believe me, this thing's neither a wild animal nor Rookin. He's not the type to camouflage himself. This thing was far too discreet and agile, and knew exactly what it was doing. This presence and the smell of Rookin suddenly reappearing. No, nothing makes sense. I can see in the eel's eye that my speech has hit the nail on the head, and that he's just remembered the line. I know him so well, it's obvious when he's hiding something. So I don't give him time to bury his panic and continue. Anything you'd like to share with us, Sleek? No, nothing at all. Are you sure? He hesitates, trembles, finally spills the beans. Okay, I do have to tell you something, but you must promise not to repeat it. We're listening. The night of the ceremony, when Mirak was sentenced to exile, I had a bit to drink and, uh... And what? Out with it. I didn't take it well, that scumbag. What he did to Rexus was unacceptable, so I followed him to teach him a lesson. Only, I slipped and I came on too strong. He didn't survive my attack. 
I was drunk. I didn't mean it. Please don't tell your father. You defied the king's judgment? You complete idiot! If this gets out, grandson of the great Sawangi or not, you'll be banished. I am aware of that! But that's not the most worrying thing. When I realized how stupid I'd been, I decided to climb as far as I could in the southeast and hide the body in the jungle. Then I smashed him all over with a stone so it looked like he was, like, assaulted. So no one would be looking for electrocution marks. Well, guess what? When we got to the line, I recognized his body from the marks left by the rock I beat him with. Mirak was hanging by his feet in full view. Where exactly did you leave the body? Four hours walk southeast of the shores. To the southeast, you hear me? There's no way Mirak is going to be here. And I'm not mistaken, it was him. A dolphin's body covered in bruises. Believe me, this is not a common sight. How can you be so sure, Sleek? And even if it was Mirak hanging on that rope, what does it all mean? I decide to keep my cool. But something inside me expands and stifles any anger I might have towards the eel for acting so stupidly. It's an emotion I'm unfamiliar with, and it only occurs in the worst situations. <sighs> it must be what people call fear. I'm totally certain, damn it! He had glass bracelet marks. It was Mirak. And the only way to explain how he wandered dead from the shore to the line in such a short time is that he was taken by someone or something. And that something was much faster than us. Draw your weapons. I order. It's more than likely that we've been followed from the beginning by someone whose designs have nothing to do with the Star Trial. Where's Shackney? I take Sleek and Arkansa and hoist them onto my back. We set off down the path and set a frantic pace to catch the Axolotl. The night's almost upon us. My eyes are struggling to adjust. I stumble over roots and tear through brambles to try to make up for lost ground. The path turns slightly, and we see here in the distance, perhaps 500 strokes before the bend. We scream with all our might to stay where she is, but she waves back, full of enthusiasm, blinded by hope. She runs back into the jungle and disappears from our view once again. Eventually we reach her. Once I've caught my breath, I see we're only about twenty strokes from the Ansom camp. At least, what's left of it. Shackney seems petrified. My hand instinctively grips my halberd as my eyes scan the carnage in the dead silence. Corporal Jensen's shelter has collapsed, and from where we are, we can see splashes of grotesque blackish streaks splattering the canvas. I lower my companions to the ground and take the lead. I cautiously push the vegetation aside with the urge to turn back, but if it's a trap, it's already too late, and we're already in too deep. We move forward a few strokes with freezing sweat beating down our backs. Rexus is on guard. Everyone draws their weapons. Arkansa shouts. Look! A few meters to our right, I can see Jensen's face, as well as those of the three subordinates. They stare skyward with twisted, empty eyes. 
Their heads are planted on spikes. Taking the head of the corporal. Whoever did this is no amateur. It's a nightmare. I... I... I'm gonna puke! We move a little further into the camp. The surrounding jungle seems dead. As if death had taken over the place and sucked the souls of the smallest insect. The disemboweled bodies of handsome soldiers are strewn here and there amidst their guts. They're riddled with arrows. Before us, in the middle of the clearing, is a body that I know well. A companion of mine in the village. He's face down and looks immaculate. Rakan! He's here! She rushes towards him to see the extent of the damage. Stop, Shackney! Come back! The axolotl leans over the body, turning it over gently. I try not to look away. She screams in disgust. Ah! Rukin's head is gone, and from his neck springs a swarm of small spiders. I know these tricks. Shackney, come back now, without making a single damn sound. The little axolotl has no time to hear my words. She's literally split in two by the warrior's sword, which emerges from the ground with the speed of a snake striking. Blood flies through the air, and the two halves of her body fall stiffly to the ground with a thud. The killer wears a black hood and a long cape. It's impossible to see his face. There's a creak behind us. I take an arrow in the back. The pain is unbearable. Rexus is hit in the thigh. Sleek. In the abdomen. Akanza appears to be intact. She sends a volley of needles towards the sentinels, who are holding us at gunpoint. Rexus enters the fray like a wildcat. With a hook, he literally bursts open the head of the first, like an overripe fruit. He then pivots on his feet and hits a second in the stomach. His fist passes right through the body of the archers. The warrior who just cut Shackney down is heading my way. I put myself between him and Sleek. He leaps up and strikes me in the throat with his blade. I'm barely able to keep up with him as I realize how skilled this Adelar warrior is. Once he returns to Earth, I sweep his knees with the back of my pike and send him a jab with the pike. His agility lets him catch the pike with his full hand and deflect my shot. He regains his balance and makes a second attack, this time aimed at my hands. While dodging, I expose my left flank, which I realize too late. The arrow in my back prevents me from moving as I'd like to. Never mind. To avoid a fatal blow, I put my tail in the way. The blade slices through. Pain radiates from my lumbar to my neck. I'm gonna survive. Sleek stands up, coughing. Leave that bastard to me! You'll pay! Ark! I need your stings! The turtle gives us each a triple dose, and I regain the use of my muscles. Sleek is rushing at the assassin, but a new opponent springs from the bushes and comes between them. This one's wearing a cloak and a purple mask. Sleek sees them only at the last moment. 
He dodges the blade and wraps himself around the legs of the enemy, whose body stiffens and falls to the ground, full of smoke and violent convulsions that fade as the life drains from its body. And soon, nothing. Your turn, asshole! Sleek bellows at the Black Warrior. The eel is in the middle of the square. The opponent places two fingers in his mouth and whistles. Sleek, it's a trap! Get down! I yell too late. My best friend is riddled from head to toe with dozens of arrows, shooting from every direction. He falls to the ground. Twists pain to look up at me. An arrow has pierced his eye. His face is covered in blood. Run, come on, save yourself. Hatred rises in my gorge. I see Rexes covered in arrows, but still fighting like a Lindra against three Avalar Sentinels. His shell seems to soften the blows. He sees the eel and goes into a frenzy. Arkansa is keeping the Black Warrior at bay with her needles, but he parries, he dodges, manages to approach without effort. We join Rexus in the melee. I carry the turtle under my arm, initially with the goal of making the most of the breakthrough created by the Squealer. At his feet lie the crushed corpses of the Sentinels. On our left, I see a row of five archers about ten strokes away. They're aimed at the Squealer. I'm on them in a flash. A broad sweep of the halberd and I scythe two of them down like wheat. Less than ten seconds, I finished off the other three. Turning around, I see Arkansa on her back. A third assassin, wearing a red hood, is standing over her. He holds her down with one hand and slowly drives a sword through her throat. Then he stands up to assess the situation. The turtle's already dead. Shit. Shackney. Slick. And now, Hawk. There's no longer any question of running away. I launch myself at him, and Rexus falls. He breaks free at breakneck speed and joins the Black Warrior in the center of the clearing. A fourth emerges from the bushes. They aren't sentinels. They're lieutenants, or team leaders, who operate at a completely different level. Shackney's killer in black must be the leader. I can tell by the position the other two are adopting around him. I think we're in trouble. The Black Warrior is silent, standing still in the center of the clearing. One of the two purple lieutenants kneels down next to the body of the third and places his fingers under his throat to see if he survives Sleek's shock. He shakes his head, stone dead. The two lieutenants each stand on one of their leader's flanks, then draw their swords and move toward us. Rexus and I stand next to each other. I can hear the wounded Skula gasp with effort. With a leap, he manages to cut the distance, and the effect of surprise propels him towards his opponent. The latter dodges the hook and counterattacks. Rexus parries a sword blow, but a blade hidden in his sleeve cuts his hand. He doesn't cry out, and I think he had it planned. Without even slowing down, he's already cocked his right fist, the most powerful one. He transfers his weight to the opposite leg, which flexes and then relaxes like a steel spring. Rexus unleashes his super-powerful blow. I'm frightened to see the lieutenant managing to dodge the blow in Extremis. 
How? I don't have time to see the end of the fight, as the fourth lieutenant's already on me. From the corner of my eye, I keep my attention on the black warrior who's still unwilling to move. We'll have to cut this short. A flurry of attacks ricochets off the handle of my weapon, and the pain of the arrow in my leg begins to resurface. I'm weakening. My opponent cuts me in the arm, and the shoulder. It looks like he wants to wear me down. So he must fear my strength. I make a diagonal kick from my waist, willingly trying to leave an opening on my right flank. My opponent rushes in, as expected, and before he can pierce my ribs, I lodge the pommel of my halberd in his abdomen. He's thrown a few strokes into the air, and falls back. Inert. The attack won't be enough to kill him, but he won't be able to fight anytime soon. I turn to Rex's. Covered in slashes, he grabs the hand that stuck a sword in his shoulder. He closes his terrible embrace. The purple warrior doesn't make a sound as his knuckles, fingers, and bones are dislocated by my partner's grip. Maintaining his grip, the squilla quickly rearms his amputated arm and prepares to send a jab into the face of the fleeing lieutenant. The blow will smash his head. Yes, Rexus has won. Ha ha ha. Huh? But his shot, his shot doesn't go off. Instead, it's the black warrior's blade in his back that pierces his abdomen from side to side. Before he can do anything, he pulls it out and strikes a second blow in the lung, then a third in the heart. The squilla coughs painfully, lets out a gush of blood from his mouth. He lets go of the lieutenant as life drains from his body. Soon, lies on the ground, and I realize the Squilla is dead. The Black Warrior checks the edge of his blood-stained blade and walks forward calmly, followed by the Lieutenant. I take a deep breath. They start to fight, and attack in perfect coordination. They alternate stabs and thrusts to create openings but my guard is solid. At this point, I feel nothing and live only for one thing, to take them with me in death, especially him, the Black One. Who is he? He's at least a Ninth Moon Crag fighter. He slashes my shoulder with a sharp blow. I step back and the other one uses the opportunity to prick me under the thigh. I'm flagging. Behind me, the sound of bows being stretched. Ah, three sentinels. Shit. I'm riddled by a salvo of arrows. My pace slows enough to allow the killer to cut off a finger. I'm running out of steam and become aware that I'm alone. I 
Alanaka. I'm going to lose. Paralyzed by horror, I think about my father, my mother, my brother. How long will it take them to discover our bodies? Will we ever know who's behind this trap? Why me? Why? Why them? I plant my blade in the ground and using it like a powerful liver, send a flurry of dust in front of me. The slower purple locust doesn't get out of the way in time. With a sweep, my blade takes his arm. This time he screams. A javelin, fired from a thruster, pierces my knee. Ugh, it's impossible to move any further. I flinch and lean on the shaft of my weapon. The Black Warrior delivers a powerful kick to my face. And I fall flat on my back. He pushes my halberd aside with his foot and places the blade under my throat. The full moon blinds me and I've lost too much blood. Everything is too hazy for me to see his face. I'm breathing so hard that I can hardly hear his words. Nothing personal, young prince. May the goddess soothe you. The black warrior thrusts his blade into my throat. I can hardly feel anything except for the warm stream of blood running down my chest, down my windpipe. My lungs fill with a warm broth, and I instinctively hold my breath. <laughs> a killer whale drowning in its own blood. What a sad end. My vision is blurred, but my carcass is leaking, pierced like an old wineskin. Life... Life is seeping away for good. The enemy shoves his hands in his pockets and turns away. The quiet tread of his boot fades into the forest, and soon he disappears, whistling a tune I know all too well. The Call of the Abyss. The bastard was indeed following us. The whole time. So I hammered to myself one last time. Or rather, to the five of us.
sound comes out. The other night, around the flames of the fire, if I had realized, I might have sung all night. <laughs> 